Welcome to the Road to Cinema podcast, as we talk with screenwriter Todd Kamarnicki of the new film Soli, starring Tom Hanks and directed by Clint Eastwood, which opens in theaters nationwide on Friday, September 9th. In the film, Tom Hanks plays Captain Chelsea Soli Solenberger, a pilot who guides a commercial airliner to a harrowing but safe landing across the Hudson River in New York City. Based on the dramatic true-life events in 2009, Soli is proclaimed a hero by the public, but an investigation into the landing of the plane soon puts Soli's reputation and career in jeopardy. Screenwriter Todd Kamarnicki shares his initial pitch for Soli, which is based on the book written by the real-life pilot. And we'll also discuss how Clint Eastwood, Tom Hanks, and producer Frank Marshall brought the film to life. Visit jogroadproductions.com to learn more about the Road to Cinema podcast, the Road to Cinema blog, and don't forget you can subscribe to Road to Cinema on YouTube through the Jog Road Productions YouTube channel, where you can catch interviews with Don Cheadle, Ewan McGregor, Greta Gerwig, and many more. You can follow us on Twitter for the latest updates at Jog Road, Instagram at Jog Road Productions, and like our Facebook page, Jog Road Productions. And remember, on iTunes, you can write us a nice review under the iTunes podcast page for the Road to Cinema podcast. And now we join Soli screenwriter Todd Kamarnicki as he shares with us his initial conception for Soli and how the project originally came together. Soli opens in theaters nationwide on Friday, September 9th. Well, a buddy of mine, his name is John Berg, and he's one of the, the top bananas at, at Warner Brothers, sent me the article that Sully's book had been optioned by Frank Marshall and Alan Stewart. And he just said, um, do you think this is something that uh, you'd like to write? I think this is your kind of movie. And I said, is it a Warner Brothers movie? And he said, oh, no, Warner Brothers is not going to make a movie like this. (laughs) (laughs) So the irony that it wound up uh, six years later as a Warner Brothers movie because of Clint and, uh, you know, that that full circle was very, very satisfying. But the, the... journey to do it was I was just one man going up against many to try to get the job. I was the first person to pitch for the job, and it was one of those calls that was really filled with pixie dust at the end. Frank Marshall, who of course has produced every successful movie ever, such a huge fan of his work with Spielberg and so many other directors, and uh, Frank says to me, I feel like you tapped my brain and just said out loud the movie that I see. And everyone's high-fiving each other over the phone. I'm, I'm in New York, and they're in L.A., and it all seems perfectly smooth. And that phone call was followed by five months of total silence. So <laughs> they, uh, they went casting their net far and wide to make sure that they had talked to everybody they, they could track down. And fortunately, when they sat down and looked each other in the eye, they said the one we liked the best was the first one we heard. So they came back to me, and I, I started writing. What do you think it was in that initial pitch that you gave that really uh, gave them the confidence that they thought you could execute this? Well, a couple things. One is just being a New Yorker and having a deep passion for this this good news story and fighting from the very beginning that this this be a, a story where the light wins and, and heroism wins because I was just so tired of the, the cynical nature of what movies have become. Now, there, there's certainly a place for... Avengers and Batman and all those movies, of course, they're, they're important movies in our culture. But when that's pretty much everything that the studios are producing and they all have the same central message, which is apocalypse now or apocalypse soon, and the only 
people standing in the breach are these troubled superheroes. There's, there's not a real sense of humanity you can grasp onto. Sure, people relate to, to Iron Man or, or, or Spider-Man in different ways, but we are not Iron Man or Spider-Man. We can't fly in a suit. We can't swing on a web. We just have to walk here on Earth. And this was a story about a real person just like us who did his job and was surrounded by people that did their job and that if you live a life of integrity and excellence and look out for your fellow man, you can do the miraculous. So that was the heartbeat of it for me. And the other was the storytelling structure. I, I have this theory that I like to call the eternal now, which is that everything that's ever happened to us, we carry with us. We remember a handful of memories, but, but all of our experiences is, is banging around inside of us. Then there's the present moment, and then how the present moment impacts the future. So it's all happening all the time. And that's a great storytelling tool, especially when you're looking at a man's entire life. So in Sully, it's as simple as instead of going to a flashback, you can go into an actor's eye or drift past their shoulder and ricochet in time and understand that this is a memory, this is a story within the character we're following. So you never feel disconnected. You don't like, oh, that's from another time, or that's the flashback. You feel one with the character's journey. And then when that memory finishes, we come back to the present time and we're with the character in real time again. So it makes storytelling very elastic, and it allows you to sort of break, break the rules of standard narrative and yet still be telling a page-turner, still be getting people to, to guess what's going to happen next. So th- I think those were the... Yeah. So once um, you got the assignment and you were going to start writing based on your pitch, did you have any idea that Clint Eastwood uh, would be on as director? Well, I didn't have my future goggles on. That was years in, in the waiting. What, what happened was I, I wrote the script and it was all going well. I was turning in the second draft and then Flight came out. And Flight, which is a terrific film starring a movie star about a plane crash <laughs> made by a major <laughs> filmmaker, even though it was fictional, it subsumed our story, and it really sent us into hiding for a couple of years to wait for the audience to be ready for another airplane movie. You can't have a flight and then Sully the next year. So in that waiting period and, and trying to put the movie together, it happened that Alan Stewart, one of the producers, uh, who is you know, working with Frank and Alan, have just been a, such a giant blessing. Because when you work with deeply intelligent, creative people that are also able to get things done, get movies made, it's a rare combo, and, and these two have that, so I'm so grateful to them. Alan uh, knew Clint, had a long-term friendship with him, and she, he, he said to her, what do you got? Do you, have, do you have anything that I'm looking for my next movie? And that's when she sent him selfie, just off that conversation, and uh, about 10 seconds later, we were in pre-production. Uh, so I've, I've read over the years that, you know, Clint has a policy of almost sort of very much sticking exactly to what the writer has written on the page. Uh, did you find that to be the way or was there anything that he wanted to sort of make his own in terms of the screenplay? Well, I did a rewrite for him, but once that rewrite was completed and it was not a not a large rewrite that he shot that script. I mean, there are there are no, as they say, colored pages. When, when a rewrite happens on a movie that's in production, every page is called a different color. And most studio movies, you know, can go 30 colors deep, and we just uh, shoot one color. We have, he, he didn't change anything. And it was so striking when the first trailers came out 
I would hear lines from the movie, and I would think, wow, that's, that, that's amazing, and, and this movie's really gripping. And I'd forgotten that I wrote the lines, because he does such a good job of just creating a world with his actors and with his cinematographer and with music, and he, he's such a holistic filmmaker that it actually made me forget, and I, I had to go back to the script and say, oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> they, he shot what was written. Very gratifying. I was curious too, um, you know, going back into your writing process, how much research were you doing uh, in terms of, you know, transcripts of, you know, some of these hearings that were happening with Soli and everything, everything. I memorized how A320s work. I memorized the NTSB testimony, all that stuff, and of course Sully's book that he wrote with Jeff Zaslow. So there was a tremendous amount of research, but the the biggest research was getting to know Sully the man. Because I needed, in order to tell his story, I really needed to memorize him as a human being. And so we'd have conversations about what books he read, his, his little girls when they were growing up, over the, over the tuck-in stories at night, and you know, what, what beer he drank when he was in, at the Air Force Academy, and you know, just all the details that make up a movie. And those little brushstrokes also allow Tom to just sink into the character. And his, I, I don't know if you've seen the movie, but his performance is so ridiculous. He, 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 I would stand with him on set and he'd be chit-chatting away doing his hilarious Tom Hanks improvisational stories and then they'd say, okay, uh, Tom, we're ready and boom, we're, we're rolling and he'd move about an eighth of an inch and Tom Hanks would vanish and it would be Sully. Yeah, that's what's great about a, uh, you know, film acting at its core, you know, that subtlety, you know, the camera can really capture so much with, you know, internal thoughts and everything. And an actor like Tom Hanks can really personify that. And to see it happen in front of you, see, that's not even, that's what we see when great film acting is projected on a screen. But I'm standing there, I watched him do it. It's like, oh, there's the bunny and there's the hat and the bunny comes out of the hat. And it's it's so magical to watch, watch art occur right before your eyes. And then he walks off a Sully, you hear cut, and Tom Hanks walks back up to, to come back and have some M&Ms and a chat. It's it just, it's, it's a marvel. Wow. That's quite a, a rare experience, uh, you know, for screenwriters to be on set. Is this, um, have you always been on set for other films, or has this been sort of an exception? No, I've, you know, I, I try to be there as much as I'm needed. On this movie, because he was shooting the script, I did the New York portion and a little bit in L.A., and just to watch and, and learn the perfect and peaceful way that Clint makes movies, and also to see Tom work, and Aaron Eckhart, and everybody, everybody in the movie, all the supporting cast are so strong, and just watching them deliver was very satisfying, but I was, I didn't have any heavy lifting to do, my heavy lifting came, came earlier. Uh, I was curious too, you know, writing dialogue, uh, you know, in a case like this, you have transcripts, you have sort of, you know, first person accounts that you can go to, but do you ever imagine uh, actors sort of reading lines or have an actor in your head as you're writing? Never. I always just try to make it about the character. And I mean, these were, these are real life characters. So you have, you have the real life person that you're thinking about speaking the lines and I let the, the casting decisions happen later. I find this happens a lot in comedy because I produce mostly on the comedy side producing. And that, uh, a lot of scripts are written with one actor in mind. And then it really skews the experience, because if you don't get that actor, then the movie just doesn't read the same way. And I think if you just trust a character to be funny and imagine any top person could come in, then it makes for a better script. 
In terms of uh, your writing process, I was curious for you, uh, kind of how disciplined are you in terms of do you sort of set yourself uh, page goals per day? Do you kind of have kind of benchmarks that you want to hit in terms of how much work you get done when you're working on a, you know, an assignment like you are with Soli? That's a great question. Yes, I do. And absolutely, there's no freedom without discipline. So the, I love the word discipline. And I hold myself to, I, I write longhand, so I hold myself to 10 legal pad pages a day until I get the first, it's not, I wouldn't even call it a draft, but until I can write the words at the end. And then I go back and start really shaping, and th- then it's not so much about page count, it's just about the hours put in. But I always set my own deadlines. It's, everyone's notoriously late. In Hollywood, I never wanted to be that. I always wanted to be a lunch pail writer. It just shows up for work on time and have that, that strong work ethic. So I always set my details. I don't miss the, de- the, um, I'm sorry, the deadlines, and I take that very seriously. And I, I find that if I didn't have that, I think I'd be a lot lazier. But having that and, and clinging to it has helped me get a lot of writing done. Uh, also, I was curious, um, you know, when you're rereading the script and, you know, going, it o- going over it over and over again, um, how do you feel, is there a certain point where you get, you know, confident where you're like, yeah, I can send this out to somebody, I can have somebody else take a look at it? I, I have the huge blessing of having a, a guy named Jonathan Coleman who runs my company and has worked for me for eight years now, and he's my editor. So he, he is a complete taskmaster. So when I'm, I, I force myself to make it as good as possible before I give it to him, and then he shreds me and just makes me, his, his rule is every scene has to be as good as the best scene in the script. So sometimes there'll be something that's been in the, the script for five, six drafts, but now is not as good as new stuff and needs to be elevated, and that sends the dominoes toppling in other scenes. So, oh, yes, always trying to execute at a very high level. So I, when, when I'm done, I know I've been put through the ringer by Jonathan, so then I, I feel very, very safe and confident when I send it out. Yeah, no, it's great to have that type of objectivity to kind of take a step back from it. Well, you need, I just think everybody needs a great editor. There's no, the novelists need great editors, and it's, it's writing. You know, there's only so much you can see. And also since film is so collaborative, and once you get involved with a studio or producers or a director, they're going to have notes too. So being malleable, being, uh, you know, having agility and openness and all these skills serve a writer and help a writer stay on a project from start to finish. Do you think it's benefited you to work as a producer where you can sort of, um, where you've had that experience giving notes and looking at other scripts and sort of, you know, having that outside experience? No question. I've, I've read so much more than I ever would have read screenplay-wise just because of, of producing. And it's storytelling. Producing is storytelling in the same way that writing is storytelling. And yet, as a writer, while I'm producing, I can't just go fix something. I have to communicate my thoughts to the writer and help them execute at their level, maintain their voice. So it just it's a different side of the brain or a different, different muscles, maybe like dribbling with your left hand instead of just your right hand. But it definitely has improved my my storytelling capacity. Uh, lastly, um, I was just curious. You know, you've gone through the premiere of the film, and you know, a tremendous reception at Telluride. Um, you know, what about the film now? Sort of looking back at all these years of development, you know, really strikes you in terms of your sort of first initial concept of it, and now 
seeing it executed, is there anything that you feel like really stands out for you that was really cemented from that first uh, concept that you had in your head so long ago? Well, I'm really struck by the, the simple things and how much emotional wallop they have. Patch Dara plays the air traffic controller, Patrick Harton, and I had, of course, the cockpit voice recording transcript, so I knew what he had said, but I also had seen him interviewed on CNN, and he was clearly an emotional guy, and he had been moved by the whole experience. So in writing the script, in those scenes, I just had little brushstrokes of him saying to, him, to himself, uh, you know, saying to Sully, don't go in the river. You know, stuff that he said off radio that conveyed his emotional state. And the actor, Patch, delivered at such a high level, such an A-plus level, and then at his last moment, there's a tear running down his cheek. I mean, he just elevated these little simple things and created a feeling for the whole audience. So the movie's loaded with that stuff, stuff like um, Tom fiddling with his Air Force ring, just the notion that his life had been flying and now Sully's about to lose even his right to get in an airplane. And that conversation he has briefly before the bird strikes where it says, you know, I'll never get over how beautiful it is up here. And, and Skyle says, life is easier in the air. Those little, those little human tidbits, um, I could feel them playing with the audience last night, and, and also it still it moves me.